0: Welcome to another episode of Bringing Design Closer. My name is Jerry Scullion and I'm a service designer and I'm the founder of This Is H C D CD and the CEO of ThisIsDoing.com where we provide live online design and innovation classes providing training for people within the design and change making space. We also have our new Doing Design Festival series now and with the next event on June the 18th with the theme of Doing Design Online with some of the This Is Doing team talking about loads of items related to that. For more information, see the doingdesignfestival.com. Now today in the show, we have Lar Veal, lead UX designer for business banking in AIB, one of Ireland's biggest banks. We speak about the journey both Lar and AIB went on introducing Jobs to be Done framework and what this actually entailed. I have a little bit of experience with jobs to be done, but not an awful lot, so I was extra curious and approached this conversation as somebody who was kind of keen to learn a little bit more and also maybe discuss some of the caveats that went about introducing new things to an already established team and organisation. Anyway, let's get straight into the episode.
1: Larville, how's it going? How are you? Great, Jerry. Thanks for having me on the show. I'm a long-time listener, first-time caller.
0: Oh, really? It's like we're starting off like Fraser here. That's what uh, Fraser Crane used to say, but Lar, I've been excited to get to interview. I've been trying to set this one up for quite a while, but obviously this is my first podcast back post-COVID. Everyone, I've been out of action for a couple of months, but I'm excited to have my first guest back for 2021, believe it or not. It's Lar Veal. Lar, where are you coming from today?
1: I'm just in Louth, which is the wee county. It's the smallest county in Ireland. Best county Close in Close to Ireland. the border. The best indeed. Just on the border with with the north of Ireland.
0: Uh, very good. I follow Lar on Instagram, and the photos that you send are insanely beautiful. And I'm actually from Loud as well, so I, I know I'm completely biased. But the Loud that I'm from and the Loud that you're living in is, are two different worlds. So it's it's absolutely a beautiful part of the world. Lar, today we're we're going to be chatting about jobs to be done. Mm-hmm. Maybe we we'll start up. Well, what's your experience about Jobs To Be Done and give us some context on on what you're currently doing now?
1: Sure. So I first heard of Jobs To Be Done quite a few years ago from Clayton Christensen, died unfortunately this time last year, and Intercom were talking a lot about it as well Mm. when they kind of started out. So I, I dug a little bit deeper into it and just recently have introduced the kind of concept and the method into where I work at the moment in AIB in Dublin. So yeah, that's that's basically where it's come from.
0: You mentioned their intercom, okay, and I'd actually seen Emma Meehan, who was at Intercom for a number of years since moved on. Emma talking at UX Scotland when I was there a number of years ago, a great conference, and was talking about how effective it was in bringing the kind of customer closer and solving, you know, valuable customer problems. And at that stage. I'll be honest with you, I was like, I enjoyed Emma's presentation, but I was like, oh, this is just another, another thing, another, another tool for a designer to potentially use or worse, a non-designer to use and make a balls of it. Sure. So w- you mentioned there that you were probably a little bit cynic beforehand. What was causing that cynicism?
1: Uh, that's precisely it. I think I, I was a, bit a cynic, if not a skeptic, I suppose, in that was it just another model or new, another way of doing the same thing effectively Mm. a repackage and god help you if you go onto medium and start reading some designers saying personas are bad jobs we've done are good yeah but uh, so yeah i was a bit skeptical and and our friend jared spoo has called jobs we've done a bit of a gimmick Mm. however and i'm okay with actually business people or non-designers using it it's not just for designers it's 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 come in from from business and from marketing and from innovation consultants and and for good reason I think it's what I've seen and and I suppose there's a number of different positions on jobs to be done you've got Bob Mesta you've got and the Clayton Christensen School of jobs to be done you've got a guy called Alan Clement who's is kind of similar I think and then you've got Stratagin and Tony Ulwick and I kind of favored the, the latter one Tony Ulwick's approach largely credited with inventing jobs to be done but for him and, and for Stratagen and for the people who kind of follow that school of thought is that it's a very precise framework. Mm. So very structured framework. So it gives you some very specific tools you can use to think from the outside in rather than thinking about solutions first, that you're actually thinking about needs first. You know, mm. So again, and I can see a, a really, I can join the dots or see an alignment between that and goal-directed design you know, yeah. the Alan Cooper school of interaction design yeah. where you're really trying to ask who is the user, what are their goals and why are they doing it? Yeah. Um, you know, so they, those to me are actually jobs to be done and outcome statements.
2: Yeah. You know?
0: So it, you brought this this new method into AIB, which is one of Ireland's biggest banks, my bank. And mm-hmm. well, what was the maturity like in AIB as regards and um, maturity and appetite for a new method of like something like this
1: well, I suppose there was certainly an appetite in the sense that, like any big company, you will often have initiatives that are very much solutions first. they may not have a need a customer need at all, and how do you know is the problem mm. because what you don't want is for any uh, innovation that 's going to cost you time, money, and attention to be a game of chance, mm. so it may or may not work, but how do you know you need to you know so so certainly there's an appetite within my department, you know, in, in, in business banking, mm. you know, to really figure out what is it that customers need. And really that has direct correlation to once we know what that is, well, that can help us define our our roadmap and our backlog of things to work on next.
0: Mm. So know. if you were to meet a cynic within the banking world and you were saying, well, we're going to be doing this new thing called jobs to be done. Why should they care?
1: Well, I suppose I, I, I might not lead with with jobs to be done, because mm. in many ways it's loaded. You have to sell yeah. it as a concept. I would talk really about the the, the outcomes of jobs to be done or, or the value. And I would talk in terms of, do we know what our customers' needs are?
2: Mm.
1: How do we know? How confident are we that they are our customers' needs? Are they written down anywhere that we can point to? And does everyone agree on them? And that's really the problem, you know, is, is mm. sure, you you might have done some UX research and you might know what the customer needs are and they're floating around in your head or they're in your notebook or on your laptop. But how widely are they shared, acknowledged, agreed on hmm. and rallied around? Yeah. You know, I think that's why I, I, I think jobs to done can have a real benefit. You're not, it's, it's not a design type methodology. You know, you're not talking in terms of a contextual inquiry that we're hmm. going, what? It's more. Accessible it's accessible is the right word yeah
0: yeah absolutely that's what i'm hearing so like you mentioned there about personas being bad and jobs to be done are good like i've seen those articles and they're still out there and we should put them all into a little file and right click and delete but (laughs) let's talk about the problems that you think jobs to be done solves over personas okay because typically in my world personas I've used them and I still use them to kickstart projects off. but typically I've seen them being done very badly even within mature organizations where they articulate very fluffy needs but I'm keen to hear or none yeah Yeah. Yeah. so I'm really keen to hear you know what, what your thoughts are on can they potentially personas and jobs to be done intersect so if someone's already got personas within their organization is this something that they can look at is it if this then that
1: yeah I think so I mean Just like personas can be done badly, anything can be done badly, including jobs to be done. But I think, you know, both require rigor, you know, and that's often what's missing. We often look at the output of a persona. It's got a nice cheery picture of a person. It might have a little bit of a life story and some demographics. Mm. To me, that's, you know, a bad persona. It should have very little in it that doesn't lead to a developer or a business person or another designer really understanding, fuck it, yeah, this is how. Am I mean, I've curse. Yeah, go ahead.
0: We're all adults it in this should, podcast.
1: It, it should have nothing in it that doesn't lead to some sort of insight to say, "Okay, now I know who I'm designing for, why I'm designing it this way, or building it this way." And oftentimes, what's missing from personas is the scenarios that go along with it. You know, personas mm. are only the the characters in a in a story. You know, the scenarios need to kind of
2: the context flush.
1: Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, but what, what I like about jobs be done, I suppose. is First of all, it does require the same level of rigor, mm. but then it's, it's the, I suppose, the precise framework. You know, it brings real precision to where personas can be fluffy, if done well, of course. Yeah. Uh, and, and it's a, quite a prescriptive approach, you know, the, uh, prescriptive language within it. So you've got the job itself, so that's what someone is, is trying to get done. Mm. And then within a job, you have a number of steps or sequence. Not quite a task flow, but you've got steps within the job of what people are trying to get done. So it's, mm. you know, an example often cited is that in an operation, you were talking earlier about COVID, but mm. in, in a medical setting, someone isn't looking at the screen or looking at the uh, sphygmomanometer. manometer. They're looking to check the patient's blood pressure or the patient's vital signs, mm. you know, so it's not what they're doing, it's what they're trying to get done at each step. So a job can be yeah. broken down into kind of discrete job steps. Yeah. And within that, there's a very precise language around what's called desired outcome statements. So I polled Twitter, the best of Twitter recently, and some top Irish entrepreneurs and VCs were giving out about how long it takes to open a bank account. You oh, know, yeah. it was crazy. They need to move fast. They don't want to be sticking around in this kind of administrivia. But if you were to phrase that as a, as a desired outcome statement, you would say, minimize the time it takes to open a bank account so that I can get on with running a business. Yeah. So and once you're very precise in that language, that's when the creativity comes in afterwards. Yeah. It's it's figuring out, okay, so well, how do we best answer that question? Taking a leaf out of IDEO's book, how might we best minimize the time it takes to open a yeah. business bank account? So it I can see all these parallels with design thinking, with mm. interaction design and with goal directed design. Yeah. So I think it's very complementary. So
0: Looking at the, the ecosystem that you had in front of you before jobs to be done arrived into your life, what are the kind of things that you you know, you know feel are really needed to make jobs to be done successful and to be adopted within organizations?
1: I think well, what we've tried, I suppose, is you asked, you know, how would I sell jobs to be done earlier? But I think the first thing you need to do is, is learn it by doing. So it is definitely mm-hmm. a new tool set. You know, so you do have to, you may need some support in terms of training, but like most things and most change, you need an internal champion to make it happen. Yeah. So or an ambassador, if not a champion. So someone who can introduce the concepts, give some training and show it being done. And that's what we've done in AIB. We we ran a series of twelve customer interviews and we got a number of designers and UX researchers to conduct those interviews with a bit of training and, and coaching beforehand. Preppy a bit of mentoring during, and then we did the kind of analysis together. And what was really interesting is is before we did this, I tried to put the lens of jobs to be done over some interview notes I'd taken over the years on, I think, 30 or 40 interviews all around making payments. You know, what are the problems around making payments? Mm -hmm. And we came out, I came out with about 20 to 30 uh, outcome statements from those. Mm -hmm. You know, so it's kind of a retrospective activity. Yeah. But then, when doing it the next time out, I think we tripled it. We had over ninety outcome statements from interviewing a different set of people with a precise lens of jobs done over it. yeah and so these are ninety articulated needs that we can all agree and rely on and and align on and then the next step of the process is to well, you can actually survey you know a larger sample and ask of these outcome statements. Which of them are most important to you and which of these mm. are you the least satisfied with? Let's
0: talk a little bit more around that whole kind of surveying process because it sounds very similar to Jerry McGovern's top tasks methods. I don't know if anyone has – have you have you ever used Jerry McGovern's top tasks?
1: I'm familiar with it, yeah. And I used it years ago with a telco. Mm. I think when the book first came out, it's, I think it's out about 10 years. What, the method's about, about, about 10 it? years, yeah. The book yeah, is about yeah. –
0: three or four years maybe oh maybe okay jerry's probably listening getting on no jerry it was 18 (laughs) months ago (laughs) um i'm useless with dates but like in terms of you mentioned there about doing surveying and i guess it'd be good to understand what an end-to-end journey looks like for a jobs to be done project
1: if that's sure if you're following the prescribed process the first step is we need to interview people yeah they may not be customers they may not be even users but it's really in the problem space. It's not in the solution space. You're really trying to figure out you know, how people think, what they're trying to get done, not just in, in, in the narrow purview of, of what you can offer and what your capabilities are. Because if you do that, you're blind to potential opportunities and yeah. needs that are unserved elsewhere. So that, that'll be the first thing. So you, you can do a number of interviews. I would advocate you know, somewhere between 12 and 20. And you can do multiple types that's of things. That's quite a lot, Lara. That's quite a lot. 12 and 20 is quite a lot. Why is it so high? Because you're going to get different types of people, you know? So I think that's generally why patterns can emerge, you know, after five, six, seven, eight. Hmm. But like if, in B's example, we've got small businesses, we've got medium-sized businesses, we've got corporates, you know, and, and they, okay. have, they may have very similar needs. We don't know until we've done the work, hmm. you know? So my point is that it, you know, does require rigor. But 20 interviews is probably 20 hours. So
0: is that per kind of actor within the system or is that holistically? So if there's two actors, so say if you've got, say, a, a business or a banking teller and mm. the customer, are you doing 20 interviews for the teller and 20 interviews for the, the customer?
1: I mean, you could. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, I suppose, yeah. I mean, you're not being too prescriptive on, on the system. Mm. You know, okay. you, you're kind of, you're unbounded somewhat. Okay, you're going to obviously talk to business people, you know, if we're a business banking platform, but we may be interested in answering a really broad question on, you know, should we bring in an invoicing system? I'm just purely speculating Mm. to allow customers to send invoices to their customers. There are plenty of software providers that do this already Mm. outside of banking, you know, but good question is, should we do it? You know, is Mm. that market unserved? Is there a market? Yeah, you know, so you're you are you are trying to answer big questions like is there a market for something, or is something viable if we do it, down to the level of what should we put in the roadmap, what's next, you know, so it's it's it kind of conserve big broad strategic questions down to, you know, what are the top three things we need to deliver, you know, in the next couple of sprints.
0: Okay, very good. So you've you've recruited your twenty or twelve to twenty people. You've you have to create a script. So, as regards the focus of of the the conversation that you're going to have, how, how is that designed? How is that? Because when it comes to script creation, I'm I'm kind of working between worlds, trying to make sure that the conversation is is on
2: track.
1: Yeah, I think good good exploratory interviews from the UX world are, are quite similar. You'd ask things like, "Tell me about a time when you were trying to make a payment," for example. Tell me about what's most frustrating about that. Tell me about the things you do before you make a payment or after you make a payment. What takes the most time? Mm. Tell me about the last time something went wrong. Okay. So very much open-based questions. Yeah. Uh, But but then you kind of go down a layer. You know, again, the five whys is, is, uh, you know, a common technique. But you would ask things like, so what are you trying to get done at that step Mm. just before you make a payment? And why do you do it that way? Yeah, And you might, you know, so you might go up uh, for for why and, and then in terms of getting to how they do something, how they actually do the job right now, you'll ask them the how type yeah. questions. How do you store that invoice? Why do you store that invoice? I might store that invoice that I need to pay because I don't want to forget it when it's due. Mm. Yeah. How do you store that? Well, I store that in a spreadsheet or I store that in a folder on my phone. And mm. some of those, solu- why do you choose that solution over another solution? Yeah. And have you tried anything else? And, you know, when you get to the point of someone, you can really explore why someone uses a certain solution or they've explored a workaround because something's so frustrating. You know, there's there's gold in there.
2: Yeah,
0: absolutely. So do you have a team of people tracking or like you're doing transcripts within those research sessions? Because like any method, the quality of the output is down to the the quality of your raw data that you're going to get to work with, presumably.
1: Yeah, I mean the goal of these interviews is to identify the outcome statements, which are another way, another word for need. What is the precise need? So we've tried transcripts, and uh, they work. Mm. So some of the tools out there nowadays are phenomenal. You know, mm. using look back, using dovetail. dovetail. Dovetail uses an automated kind of transcription Transcript. service. It's Not the best in Irish accents, I will say. But
0: <laughs> <laughs> surprise, it's, surprise, it's based in yeah. Sydney.
1: Yeah, but it's it's it's. uh, I think I'm not sure what they use in the background for the transcription. It might be otter Yeah, but it actually it it has meant that we've missed very little. You know, when we go back and analyze the transcripts, Hmm. but actually, the the technique that I'm most interested in at the moment is during the interview, uh, and it's really worked well remotely because you share a screen and you're writing out the insights, and the the participant can see them. So you know, like I'm I'm. Let's for example you know, I'm concluding a payment. So what are you trying to conclude in a payment? What are you, what are you trying to achieve is the type of question you'd ask. Yeah. And they might say, well, you know, I want to make sure that the, the recipient knows they've been paid and it was me who paid them and they know why I've paid them. Hmm. Okay, so what, what are you trying to avoid in that situation? And you're probably trying to minimize the likelihood that a payment goes unrecognized by a recipient Yeah. or minimize the, the back and forth yeah. Or any disputes around being paid when the person has been paid, yeah. And they go, "Oh yeah, that's right." You know, so you write that down, and then you would you would literally validate it with them in the room, saying, "Is, is that accurate?" Now you're not quite putting words in their mouth, but you, there is a bit of play and back and forth on, "Does this feel right?"
0: Okay, which is kind of the the uh, I guess the antithesis from, from my world as a as a design researcher. When I sit there, I'm like, I sometimes am very coy, and you know, I don't let them. I don't say things for them to to jump on and say yeah that's right. Well you're right. not
1: yeah exactly you're not trying to I suppose you're not trying to put words in their mouth but you're there is some synthesis happening in play in the interview rather than yeah. you've got your transcript and now later you figure out what that means.
0: Mm. So That does come with a bit of a risk though. That does come with a bit of you know there's a potential there for some I don't know not you know.
1: No no I agree I think that yeah. you need to be very careful you need to be a skilled interviewer to to know that you are not the expert. They're still the expert. Yeah. You've you've parked your worldview at the door. You're using their words, not yours. Yeah. And you've got the beginner's mindset. You know, all that good stuff that comes from being a good design researcher. Mm. I suppose it's, I mean, that's the technique at least that we're trying. Yeah. You know, so it's, you've got to be careful though. You're right.
0: Absolutely. So you've got your, your 20 interviews and they've they've all been transcribed and you're ready to go. And Lar comes in on a Monday morning and he's like, wait, right, folks, we're going to be doing some synthesis this week. What does the synthesis look like? And wh- how does it differ to the traditional, say, design research process?
1: I suppose with the traditional design process, at times you can go straight from uh, an observation to a conclusion without a bit in between, in the sense that you can start going, well, what's the solution? What's the solution? You know, What do we design because of what we've heard? Rather than saying, you know, let's stick with the problem statements yeah, And that, that's what been is good at. It's, it's not talking about creativity. It's yeah. not talking about design. It's talking about you know, it's precisely what are the customer needs that are out there. Yeah. Uh, so the output of, of, say, 12 or 20 interviews would be a long list of uh, outcome statements or needs. It is not, you've not assigned any importance to them. You've not even validated that they are needs. Apart from they came up in some interviews, you, you're not saying they came up most often. The next step is that, that Jobstool survey. Where for for every need, you ask those questions: How important is this to you? And how okay. satisfied are you? You know, and from that you've got a ranked list of needs. You know, you still you're still not deciding to do any of these things. You're mm-hmm. saying, well, this is what we've identified in our interviews. This seems to be how they rank. Now, now what? So that's yeah. when the skills of synthesis and design come in and yeah. creativity. You know, okay, that seems to be a problem. You know, so. Like one of the things that came up uh, was you know minimizing the time it takes to make multiple payments you know yeah. I'd, I, through my design interviews and my design research interviews, I had heard one interviewee talk about spending forty five minutes to an hour every morning making payments. And I said that 's madness you know and they were just internal payments. they had lots of incoming yeah. bank accounts, and they needed to transfer all that money to an operational account and for one reason or another. They didn't know, or we didn't have a feature that would enable them to do that faster, but we know that the the outcome statement there is minimize the time it takes to make multiple payments, yeah, you know so th- and, and look, there are hundreds of solutions out there, you know, you've heard of sweeping probably, which is kind of automated rules around if my balance is over a certain amount, transfer the money out and into someplace else. that's mm. one solution. There could be quick pay type features that you could enable. You could reduce the number of bank accounts people actually needed, yeah. There's lots of things, but I lots suppose the standards. answer, you know, the point is you don't start with those solutions. You start with, okay, that's the need and it's very, very precise. Mm. And that's one that we can very clearly articulate to all our stakeholders mm. around the place.
0: Can I ask, so when you've done those research interviews, is the survey done straight away afterwards or does there, do you need a little bit of synthesis in between?
1: I think you, you always need a bit of synthesis. You okay. know, there's no substitute for actually thinking yeah. through things properly. Okay. You know, and you mainly need to look at how you phrase an outcome statement because more or less, you're going to take those and show them to mm. a sample size and get a survey. And once you've put a survey question live, you know, there's very little opportunity for mm. follow-ups or clarity. You know, it's generally you would look at the phrasing of, of your outcome statements. Yeah. You would do a test version of the survey to make sure people understand what it is you're asking. Yeah. effectively usability test survey and probably should do all the time. Yeah,
0: and Absolutely. So so with the survey, it's with different people. It's not with the same set of people that you've had for the for the interviews correct correct, yeah, yeah, okay so there's I
1: mean and they don't need to be your, they, they don't have to be your customers, they could be customers of other okay. institutions you know, you do want to cast the the net widely and you do ask segmentation based questions either at the start or at the end you know yeah what kind of business do you work for? how big is that business in our case at least yeah what industry are you in? Hmm. You know, are you the owner of the business or are you uh, just an uh, employee of the business? You know, yeah. you all those things, you know, so to see if there's any correlation the to the data that comes out. Yeah.
0: It kind of reminds me of, uh, and like I've, I've not used jobs to be done. I've used Cano modeling and top tasks and all this kind of stuff. But that survey yeah. you mentioned there kind of reminds me a little bit of the the phrasings of the questions within Cano modeling. It's, it's,
1: it's, 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 yeah, it's very similar. Like, does paired questions. Yeah. I think Kano looks at solutions, you know, so I think, again, I can see... You need to
0: have your solutions up front for Kano. Like, you need to have your features and it kind of works out the basic needs and the desire. Yeah, yeah,
1: but I think, you know, that whereas you could really use them in a complementary way Absolutely. and they haven't yet, but, I mean, Kano looks at, at how... Basically asking the question, Yeah, how satisfied would you be with the presence of this feature or the absence of it? How pissed yeah. off would you be? You know, so you know, and, and the lighters and the table stakes type stuff, you know. But.
0: Absolutely. So it could be like, well, when you're saying it there, I'm I'm seeing a journey of hierarchy of things and, you know, the concepts could be used in the Kano model, but the outputs of the jobs to be done could be used in terms of a Kano model, you know, survey or research study. Exactly. Be, yeah. Yeah.
1: You know what I mean? It yeah. could be going to be cool. Yeah. So, I mean, that's, we're going to explore that, you know, and that's the great thing, you know, with, with the opportunity to, to to work through these things, you know, so you know we have to try it first and see if it works for us. Yeah. You know, once we're, we we kind of understand the method and the, and how to hmm. practice it, I suppose.
0: How does it integrate with like r- other studies that are running concurrently? So, say you've got a couple of teams doing jobs to be done, and there's maybe some things that are intersecting. Is there any kind of secret sauce as regards the repository of information that's that's captured during? Jobs to be done, research and synthesis.
1: Well, that that's one thing we did recently was we brought in dovetail, yeah, as a research repository because you know I remember asking questions. You know, does anyone know about you know how to best add credit cards to accounts or some some something like that? Hmm. You know, and I was uh, on on Slack, and, and what was very interesting was there was definitely someone who knew the answer, but it, it it's who you knew. Yeah, there was no place to go to. It has to be a person to go to. And of course, if they move on, the knowledge goes with them yeah. and memory fades as well. So the research repository we have is phenomenal because any new initiative that we're working on, any new feature where the question comes like, okay, what do we know about this? You know, What do yeah. we know about the people who, who need to use this at some point? And through clever tagging within Dovetail, we can get to an answer pretty quickly. Yeah. So desk research can be the, the primary research you do rather than the secondary, you know, if yeah. it exists in Dovetail, you know, and if it's recent and if you feel that it's, you know, timeless rather than ephemeral. Mm. How,
0: how have you found working remotely in all this stuff with jobs to be done and stuff? And stuff um, and stuff. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I think it's actually been pretty positive, particularly in research and interviews. Uh, when you're fixed to a specific location, like your head office, where you've got really good research rooms and, and mm. you know, usability lab, you're kind of constrained by your geographical area. So who can get to you? Who could afford to get to you yeah. over their lunch break during a working day yeah. in a timely way? Whereas now we can cast the net far wider across the country and not just our country, you know, AAB are in, in Northern Ireland and in Great Britain as well. Yeah. So we've been able to interview customers. More inclusively. You know, over, yeah, inclusively over, over look back. So that's been really, really helpful. So that's been, I think, one of the benefits, you know, it kind of forced us into doing that. You know, it means that we can go back out, you know, when things do or if they ever return to normal, that, you know, we shouldn't be constrained by our geographic limitations.
0: Yeah, and absolutely. Looking back on what you've, and you as the organization and also yourself, what are the key learnings and what would you do differently based on what you've done now?
1: I probably would have taken it in earlier. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> but, but hindsight's great from that perspective but you know so we we brought training in so we we got someone from strategy to train us but in terms of what i do differently i suppose looking back over my old research notes pre jobs to be done oftentimes i might have been the sole interviewer or maybe with a with someone with me but our, the notes we took weren't full transcripts they were summary notes of what we felt were important in the moment or what we caught and lack the things we missed. Mm. Whereas the benefit of... And actually, this is one of the things from working remotely in that if we're recording interviews and the, with the ability now to, to run transcripts, there's less likelihood of us missing anything. So we can focus on the interview in the moment rather than trying to capture everything right there and then. You can go back over your transcripts. So that's been really useful. And that's, I suppose, technology has enabled that yeah. in many respects. So previously, we were using more manual ways to, to record and it was just a pain to go back over notes, whereas if you can timestamp certain things in a full interview video or transcript, you know, you can go back over it and zone only... Review uh, it. ...after the fact, yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So it's brought a bit of rigor back, I think. that's the, that, you know, that should have been done anyway, but it's just, it's focused again on, on that sense of rigor.
2: Yeah, which is which has been quite good.
1: Yeah. But ultimately, I think, ultimately, you know, it's... I'm sure like any big business, there's been near misses where there's been an initiative where... It project could have gone out, and, and maybe still does, with a solution-first focus. Yeah. Whereas this thinking from the outside in, I mean, that, that's been a, kind of a design researcher's mantra for years. Yeah. But, you know, and we've been asking for the seat at the table for so long, you know, and maybe this is one way we do it. We're using something that's actually brought over from business, from Clayton mm. Christian, from Bob Nesta. You know, we're, we're bringing one of the tools that's probably more recognized on that side of the house. in yeah. and, and indeed, marketing. But once, once you're very clear on what those needs are, you don't actually have to create something new. You know, it may be that, actually, Jesus, lads, we have something. We're just not talking about it in this way. Yeah. We need to talk about something we have in this new way of how it solves problems for people.
0: Yeah, yeah. re-sequencing the system. Yeah. It's probably, yeah, that's <clears> a really good point. Lar, if people want to reach out to you, what's the best way for them to do that?
1: Well, they can check out my cinnamon buns on Twitter. <laughs> At Lawrenceville, yeah, uh, or they can uh, find me on LinkedIn.
0: Yeah, I'll put links to those in the show notes, Lar. I'll be honest; I'm a bit disappointed that I didn't get my cinnamon buns in the post. Lar, Lar mentioned to me a number of weeks ago his cinnamon buns. We've also been joking about the cinnamon buns for quite a while. But check out Lar's cinnamon buns; they're uh, they're great. Like you know,
1: well, once restrictions uh, are lifted next month, Jerry, I will deliver. A six, Fresh batch of cinnamon 12, buns.
0: 12, 12 buns. Yeah, yeah. was telling me he's got a, <laughs> a really large oven. He's like a, like like a baker that up in North Lev having having lots of uh, baking excursions in his in his lockdown. But Lar, it was great. Look, like, I, I, I honestly, I, I learned a lot today about jobs to be done. Um, hopefully, people give it a, give it a try. Who do you recommend to follow or read in terms of materials about learning more about jobs to be done?
1: There's a few out there. I'd start with Stratagem and I'd look at uh, Tony Olwick's book. I think it's a free book called Jobs Be Done.
2: Yeah.
1: It's based on his original book, which is a, another book about 10 years old or more called uh, Outcome Driven Innovation.
2: Oh, yeah. What Customers
1: yeah. Want, that one. But there's also uh, Bob Mesta's side of things. He, he's a book out as well. But really, like, what they boil down to for me is they boil it down to outcomes, focusing on mm. outcomes, not input, not features, focusing on outcomes. Yeah. And I'm sorry, I'd be remiss to not mention Jim Kalbach. Yeah. He wrote a great book about bringing all the different strands of jobs to done together into one book. Yeah. And a very practical, not dogmatic.
0: Reference type book.
1: Yeah. You know, and but it gives you kind of playbooks on how to to apply them. It doesn't give you the the full thing.
0: Which is perfect.
1: Exactly. Like it's really, it's one of those books that you don't read cover to cover although you can but it's one you pick it up and go okay I'm trying I have a specific type of problem how do we use Mm. jobs to be done or some method to to help solve that
0: yeah how might I not eat all the cinnamon buns (laughs) exactly yeah (laughs) I'll put a link to Jim's Jim's and Bob Mesta's books there into the, the show notes Lar thanks again for your time it's been loads of fun
1: cheers Jerry thanks a million
0: so there you have it that's all for this episode of bringing design closer if you like this episode, feel free to visit thisishcd.com, where you can access our back catalogue of over 100 episodes, with episodes related to service design, product management, design research, and much, much more. Now, if you're interested in design and innovation training, feel free to check out our business, thisisdoing.com, where you can join online classrooms and learn from the world's best design and innovation leaders. Join the This Is HCD newsletter, where you'll receive updates from the network. And also, if you're interested, apply to join the Slack community and this is HCD.com. Stay safe, and until next time, take care.